Welcome to Totally Sort of the Podcast. It's sort of like a review show and totally like catching up with your best friend. I'm Darren. And I'm Chris. We're going to let you know what kind of geeky goodness we've been watching, reading, playing, and listening to over the past week. We'll tell you what you totally need to check out and what's sort of worth skipping. So before we get started, do you have anything totally random you want to talk about this week? I do. I have kind of a proud accomplishment. This, uh proud accomplishment in gaming kind of gaming related kind of philanthropic i actually i'm part of a uh, volunteer group called project play i did know that yeah and so we had kind of a uh, last hurrah for our group uh, this year we we've been raising money over the years uh, to buy games for community centers and other agencies that serve children and uh, we're kind of winding down but as a last gift to the community we've uh, donated 175 board games to the local libraries system. Nice. So are they going to be available in the libraries for people to check out like they would books or other items? Yeah, it's it's awesome. I got to work with a librarian on the list of games and sourcing all of them. And we had some, some criteria around what games would be suitable and what would be the most durable. But every branch is going to get a pile of about 10 games. And people can go and check them out and take them home with them. But they can get them at any branch, and each branch has a slightly different collection. Yeah, so it's uh, London, uh, Ontario. We're actually the first library system in North America and maybe the world to do a board game uh, lending like this on this scale. That's awesome. I'm for anything that makes libraries continue to be relevant. Yeah, I'm I'm really proud to be part of this. And uh, it's amazing that libraries in this day and age are still finding ways to be a community hub. Yeah, it's just a really cool thing. Right on. How about you? What's been going on this week? Mine was less philanthropic. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I uh, talked about going to one play and I didn't really want to discuss plays again, except this week I upped the game and went to two. <laughs> so, so okay, so we're becoming a theater podcast, but that's cool. Go, <laughs> go on. Yeah, yeah, we're the podcast that talks about games and stuff, but we, uh, but occasionally we get distracted. Yeah. Uh, the two plays I saw were "Come From Away" and "Jerusalem." Is "Come From Away" the one about the um, 9/11 survivors in Newfoundland? Yep. That's the one. Uh, it was uh, uh, quite a lot of fun, and it's one of those things that, uh, even not being from Newfoundland, just being Canadian, it uh, kind of give you a good, warm, fuzzy feeling. Nice. So the basic story, in case people don't know, is that uh, during the September 11th ta attacks uh, on New York City, they closed the airspace in the United States, all over North America, and they had to reroute all these international planes to other places. And in Gander, Newfoundland, there is an old military base. And so on the day they closed the airspace during the 9-11 attacks, they rerouted all these planes to Gander, Newfoundland because it was the only airfield big enough to land all these planes that were in the air. So Gander, Newfoundland is a town of about 9,000 people, yeah. and they had to land 38 international planes there, which was oh. almost 7,000 people, <laughs> and they were stuck there for five days. 
and the people of Gander, Newfoundland, took the people into their homes. They set up every school, uh, community center, uh, church as a shelter. And the the play itself, it's a it's a musical, was done by uh, Irene Sankoff and David Hine, who wrote the story. It's uh, one of those things that just makes you feel proud to be Canadian. How do they make it into uh, like a, a flowing story that works as a as a play? It's kind of done almost like a documentary. Cool. Some of the sort of really nice, uh, heartwarming stuff was just, you know, they uh, people on the planes talked about who were talked about afterwards said, you know, we got off these planes with nothing and these people put their lives on hold for five days and there's some great stuff at the end where they're leaving and all these people want to give them money and the people of Newfoundland are all like, no, no, you know, you would have done the same for us. But after they left, they found that all of these people had uh, on their own put money into the suggestion box in the local community center and Mm -hmm. there was $60,000 in currency of every nation stuffed into this uh, suggestion box it was a it was a nice story about people being nice to each other in terrible circumstances that's awesome uh, the other one i saw is a play called jerusalem uh, so it's sort of a english life uh, story but it centers around this uh, guy by the name of uh, Johnny Rooster Byron. It all takes place on St. George's Day, which starts with him being told they are coming that day at 6 o'clock to forcibly evict him from his trailer. I mean, he is a, a, a drug dealer. All the kids in town go out there to party with him, and it's kind of this idea of the sort of free and independent person and the encroachment of sort of society and society's rules and the expansion of uh, urban development sort of pushing sort of the independent fierce spirits of the english man off of his land wow sounds like heady stuff my friend heady stuff <laughs> i was lured into seeing it uh the the main character was played by kim coates who's a canadian slash canadian american actor who's sort of biggest role was he played the character Tig on Sons of Anarchy. Okay. I really, I liked that show. I liked him. So I was kind of uh, interested to see him. He was really good. It was way too long. So two great acts and then a third one that I thought was a bit of a mess. But uh, Kim Coates was fantastic. Cool. Shall we move on to the Weekend Geek? Have you been watching some television this week? Yeah, we finished up uh, the Netflix series Dark. I told you a little bit about it a couple weeks ago. Yes, we skimmed the surface of Dark a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, but it was 10 episodes, and we definitely were accelerating as we went through. It was a great little series. It's kind of somewhere in the vein of Stranger Things, but maybe a little more dark, a little more serious. Uh, the other comparison I, I kept reading about when I went online was uh, Twin Peaks. But really good mystery in a small town, fantastic cast, and uh, a couple of things I want to talk about. One is the music. This is one of those series that just uses such an eclectic 
awesome mix of music. Uh, contemporary music or composed music? So it's mostly, uh, I'd say, sourced contemporary. It's kind of like um, ambient techno, you know, from the 2000s on with the odd little pop song, more poppy um, stuff here and there. And then also like some really interesting like vocal stuff that sounds kind of like Philip Glass, but like with kind of these alternative choruses and just really, really cool music that did a lot to um, to enhance the the weirdness and the, the mysteriousness of the show. So that was awesome. The other detail that I loved finding out about this one is that uh, it won a prestigious German award. It's a German show. And if you watch it, you really need to uh, turn off the dubbing and watch the subtitles so that it's not ruining the music and the, the original sound. But it won uh, a sort of German Emmy, which is called the Grimm Prize. <laughs> the Grimm Prize? The Grimm Prize. And I don't know if that's like Grimm as in the Brothers Grimm, but uh, it's a great name for an award. It is a good award. <laughs> so yeah, uh, totally recommend checking out Dark. I don't want to spoil too much, but it's um, it's got some really cool, fantastic elements. The only thing I was a little bit disappointed about it was that you know sometimes when you're watching a series especially these modern series that uh, you don't really know is it going to wrap up or is it going to be just the first season of an ongoing thing yes so i was kind of hoping that this was a self-contained story uh, it felt like it was building to a complete resolution and um it didn't so it was a very satisfying season it was a satisfying finale but uh, i kind of wish it could have just wrapped up in one season yeah the money though is in hooking you back for another season and having you keep your subscription to come back for another season i guess so it's amazing how many new series netflix is is pumping out now though yeah you know netflix has yet uh, never not renewed a series for at least two seasons wow I also have to say I saw the first trailer for uh, Jessica Jones, and we'll circle back to her later, but uh, first trailer for the second season of Jessica Jones, and I hadn't been looking for that or anything uh, in terms of a teaser or trailer, but I'm pumped to see another season of that show. Yep, it sits uh, number two on my Marvel Netflix shows. <laughs> number one being first season of Daredevil, I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You're such a fanboy for daredevil <laughs> moving right along i think we're gonna flip over into board games yeah uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about uh suro of the sea okay so i'm familiar with suro it's a simple elegant little board game where you kind of lay tiles and move a piece around and you try and stay on the board as long as possible right so each tile that you lay has the wake of a trail for a boat to follow and your piece is the boat every time you put a tile in front of your boat your boat must follow the trail that's in front of it all the way to the end and you try and avoid laying a tile that will lead you on a trail that will send you off the edge of the board right the thing that you said there that about sorrow of the sea is that you referred to it as an elegant little game mm -hmm. and have you played sorrow of the sea 
I haven't, and that's why I'm I'm really curious to hear about this because Suro. Uh, so this is a second version or a sequel or a spin-off of a game called Suro, which was super super basic. But I understand that this version makes things a little bit more complicated. Yeah, and from my perspective, it made it way less fun and hmm. uh, just pleasant to play because what is for me I love about Suro is that uh, elegance of simplicity mm -hmm. and it's always been for me a great sort of appetizer game something that you play sort of before you get into something beefier but also mm -hmm. a really good game to play with people who aren't really gamers because it doesn't require a lot of uh, depth uh, or and it doesn't require this sort of 20 minute introduction to the rules that a lot of games do to play with people yeah. and it just worked really well and it was really fun and Sorrow of the Sea is basically the same game but adding in all of these dragons that are on the board that you then have to avoid as well hmm. but okay. the dragons have rules for movement and the rules for movement involve rolling dice and so instead of just laying a tile now, every turn you're rolling dice to see if the dragons move. Then mm. if you get the certain roll that makes the dragons move, then you have to roll the dice to see what the dragons do. And then you have to move all the dragons. And sometimes they just rotate and sometimes they move. And for me, it totally ruined the flow of the whole game. And it just introduced this, this sort of stumbling block of... Now I have to roll the dice to see what they do. Now I have to roll the dice to okay. see. So that's uh, that's totally fair. Um, and I also appreciate super simple, elegant games. Um, but do you think if you weren't already a big fan of Suro and you didn't know how basic and straightforward and simple it was, do you think you would have had the same reaction or do you think you might have enjoyed it more? No, I I think it just added a clunkiness that spoiled what was good about Suro. I, that that uh, sort of elegance of simplicity is something that I like in a couple of other games, like Love Letter is one of them. So mm -hmm. Love Letter being a card game where where you have the same set of cards that you play with and everybody knows and you see all the cards as they get played out and so you can watch what other people play. And I mean, I would, wouldn't want to play an expansion to love letter that changed the rules there's something just so really nice about how well it plays agreed i found the same thing with uh coup yep coup is a uh, same kind of thing um just it's sort of game you can teach people in in five minutes and it's a quick like five ten minute game to play but it's uh it's the sort of game that you want to play six or seven times in a row yeah, and you have a limited card pool. Everybody has only two cards, and it's a, a bluffing game and a trying to figure out what the cards the other people have. I got the expansion to Coup, the Reformation. Have you ever played with the expansion? I haven't, no. So it adds this whole idea of factions. Uh, <laughs> so everybody has a faction. You can't do negative things to people who are the same faction as you, and then it adds other another character. <laughs> and additional abilities and See, I, could, I, I could tell what you think about it just from the tone i of played it all of once it. and then all of those pieces went away and now the only thing it gets used for is that it had a bunch of extra cards from the original set so that you could play with more people right have haven't touched any of the expansion pieces since the first time we played it it was yeah. just this is 
ruined the elegance and simplicity <laughs> of this game. Well, at the other end of the uh, simplicity scale, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something that debuted on Kickstarter on February 28th, which was um, this new Batman tabletop game. Had you heard anything about this? I had seen a, an ad for it, but I don't really know much about it. So um, it's produced by a company called Monolith, who has had some huge successful Kickstarter uh, campaigns, most recently being uh, one called Conan, which is um, uh, a huge box uh, adventure game. And it's the type of game where one player plays the bad guys and everyone else plays the heroes. Uh, who are fighting the bad guys, so it's a one versus many kind of um, miniatures game, similar to like Imperial Assault or Descent or those kinds of games. Uh, so Conan was a hugely successful Kickstarter, um, largely because of the minis, and uh, it's a really cool game system. I've actually played played the Conan game, and it's, it's really good. Um, so they are basically adapting the game system from Conan, to Batman. And this Kickstarter um, has been really hotly anticipated and in its first day made $3 million. What was their goal? Uh, like 260000 or something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I checked in on it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's gone live. Let's take a look. And uh, maybe second day, I don't know, but $3 million. It was already over $3 million. So I was pretty gobsmacked. Um, so the base game is $140 US and if you buy all of the add-ons, which is, you know, the bat cave, the Batmobile, all the things you can, the, the full meal deal is $320 US. So, but there, there's so much good stuff in there, man. (laughs) Did you back it? I, I might. Um, I'm really weighing my options. You get something like 75 minis in the, in the base game alone. Uh, so you get like six heroes, like nine villains, and then tons of goons and cops and, uh, lots and lots of goodies. Um, So when you say you're weighing it though, is it, uh, weighing whether you will back it or not, or how much of the goodies you need? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, the practical piece, the practical part of me says, you know what? It's, uh, you know, a couple of giant boxes. I'm probably going to get it to the table like three times. And because it's so big and so complicated uh, that I'm probably not going to play it that much. And yet the thing that, you know, is the draw is how much replayability, how many different scenarios it has, how many villains it has. Um, and the art and the, and the figures and everything are, are so cool. Um, it's really tempting to buy it just so that I can, you know, paint some of those minis and just, it's, it's like a giant toy chest, but, uh, yeah, that's a lot of money. And I don't know, honestly, how often I would play it. We talked at one point a while ago about chasing the newest thing. So the, the balance of how many pieces does it have? How many different ways can I play it versus how many times will I actually play it? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because we're, um, you know, board game makers are making these games more and more variable and replayable. But so many of the people who are buying them, I think, just don't play them that many times that what does not even matter if you can 
have infinite replayability if you only ever play it three times. That's it. I would really like to hear about They Are Billions. Tell me about that. All right. They Are Billions is a game from a company called Numantian Games. Okay. It's a real-time strategy game uh, with a steampunk theme Hmm. uh, and a sort of building from scratch, a base and a city and expanding from there on a world where you are you start as sort of the sole survivors of the human race on a world overrun by zombies yeah and so you start with a couple of warriors on a random place on the map and you have to start building rebuilding civilization from scratch uh, while zombies uh, continue to sort of stream in from the outside of the world and so is it Sounds sort of like tower defense, but maybe on a bigger scale. Uh, So what is out now is the skirmish mode of the game, which is just a survival mode. So you Mm, start with nothing, you build up your city, zombies come. Every once in a while, big hordes of zombies come. So you have to kind of build at least at a pace to meet benchmarks to stop these hordes. And at the end, you get the, they are billions, assault. (laughs) And I have yet to make it past the last horde because it's an absolutely incredible amount of zombies. I've played a lot of real-time strategy games and I've never seen a game that put that many units on the screen at the same time. Just cool. they they just flow like it's like watching one of those um South American documentaries on ants stampeding. <laughs> it's that's what it looks like on the screen. It's just they just they mash up against the walls of the city that you've built. They just crush it down and overrun me. And the game is super hard and mm-hmm. unforgiving. Uh, so because they're zombies and you're building the city, all of your buildings that you make also involve having people in them. So if you build a workshop, you have you lose population because some of your population is in the workshop working. Well, if the zombies destroy your workshop, they convert the people inside of it. And so for most of the game, if one zombie gets past your defenses and gets to a building in your mm-hmm. in your city, you're mm-hmm. done because wow. they'll they'll convert the, that person in the city yeah. and those two will go destroy another building and convert. It just becomes this exponential tidal wave that just overwhelms you. And it's hard and unforgiving and I've just been overrun literally hundreds of times and then just keep going back to... I can do it this time. And the, it gives you no quarter. You start at a completely random place on the map. Being in a bad place can be just almost impossible. Okay. So what's out right now is this mode, the skirmish mode. I think what happened, sort of reading between the lines, is that they sort of ran out of money to finish the game because it, it uh, is supposed to have a full campaign and uh, right. multiplayer possibility. So they released the skirmish mode as sort of a a way to make some money to finish the game. Hmm. But the skirmish mode is super fun to play. But That's cool. It sounds like a really cool twist on a couple of things because I used to play StarCraft and Warcraft and those building, gathering kind of real-time strategy games. And I've played lots and lots of zombie games. But combining the two sounds like a great concept. Yeah, it's really fun. Notwithstanding the fact I am consistently being overrun by zombies and 
start again, start again, start again. Is that just on Steam right now? Yeah, that's where I got it. Okay. I might have to check that out. At the very least, I think I'm going to have to watch some gameplay videos. It sounds really cool. Yeah, watch the gameplay videos because there are a bunch of them on YouTube of people showing those sort of end scenes with the ungodly amount of zombies just covering the screen. They're really, really cool. Awesome. Okay, so what's hot off the news wires this week? I have a couple of things that I thought were interesting and worth talking about in the rapid fire section of the podcast. All right, hit me. Uh, this is not exactly timely to this week, but uh, the fact that Bendis has uh, moved as a writer from Marvel to DC. So this was actually did come across as news to me. Somehow I had missed this. I don't stay up on my comic book news, uh, I think, as closely as you. For people who don't know, Brian Bendis has been uh, a massively popular and successful writer for Marvel Comics for, I don't know, what, like 10 years? Yeah, maybe even further back. He's written almost every character in the in the Marvel stable and he's had like hugely influential runs he created the ultimate Com ultimate spider-man comic uh which is one of my all-time favorite runs um he sort of reinvigorated the the spider-man story for updated it from the 60s to the 2000s and did a great job of doing that he introduced the world to jessica jones uh, through the alias comic and uh, as we mentioned she's had this awesome run on netflix he rewrote the Guardians of the Galaxy for them when they wanted to do a movie and have a Guardians of the Galaxy comic that wasn't uh, 30 years old. He reinvigorated them and has been uh, one of the driving forces behind the Avengers and the X-Men for the last probably five or six years. Yeah, yeah. So huge, huge shift in the industry for somebody who's had that much clout with that many different uh, comic book titles moving from uh, Marvel Comics to DC Comics. Yep, so that was announced in November, and this month he's going to be doing his first action comics, and he's going to be writing Superman. He has a couple of independent titles of his own that he's bringing in, his own creator-made stuff into DC, and gone from Marvel, full-time DC guy. The reason I came across it and thought it was relevant to this week is that one of the things he did was stay behind to finish uh, his most recent run in Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did a new series of Jessica Jones as one of the last things he's done at Marvel. It finished up with Jessica Jones number 17. And as I was reading it, there's a, a splash page. So it's a, and yeah. it's a, a huge riot scene and it caught my eye in the bottom right hand side. And one of the protesters has a little sign that says, uh, traitor Bendis. Nice. And so I, I had to wonder did he put it in as a joke himself or did somebody put it in after he finished it? Cause it's his last right. book on the Jessica Jones run. And it's the last book that he's doing for Marvel before That's he funny. finishes up with them. I sent you the picture the other day. I'll, I'll put it on uh, our Instagram. Nice. So, uh, this is our first week doing this rapid fire. I don't know. Was, was that a rapid fire? Yeah, I know it was less rapid fire. So I read this week that uh, Lego has introduced some plant-based Lego. They figured out how to make Lego without using petroleum products. 
Sounds good, given the number of pieces of Lego kicking around my house. Yeah, so it's uh, apparently by 2030, they're aiming to have all of their Lego be uh, made with recyclable and recycled materials. So I thought that was pretty cool. I wanted to quickly mention that uh, Infinity War, which is the next movie in the Marvel stable and the next of the Avengers sure. movie, yeah, uh, had a little bump this week, and the movie is uh, going to be coming out a week earlier, April 27th instead of May 4th. Hmm. So they did this cute little, what I'm sure was staged, uh, Twitter back and forth between Robert Downey and Disney. Where they said, he said, hey, Disney, uh, can I get a favor? And they were, Disney tweeted back, certainly anything for you, Mr. Stark. And he said, I'd like to see uh, Avengers Infinity War a, a little bit earlier. And they're like, sure, we can arrange a screening for you and uh, some of our other uh, favorite uh, actors. And he said, no, I'm, I mean the whole world. And then Disney tweeted back. Terrific. Sounds like a great idea. Done. And then they put up a poster showing that they'd moved the release date up for to a week earlier than when it was originally scheduled. Weird. So is there like a Star Wars movie coming out the next weekend? Is that what's going on? Deadpool comes out two weeks after the original uh, hmm. intended release date. And the suspicion is that they wanted to give it three weeks of runtime before Deadpool came out. Oh, the chicanery of uh, studio scheduling. Okay, the other news I had this week was that uh, cryptocurrency crime is on the rise. Are you scared? <laughs> no, I own none. So, in January, they had the uh, the biggest ever robbery of Bitcoin. Uh, somebody hacked into a, a Tokyo-based uh, exchange and got $530 million worth of it. But just this week, in Iceland, some gang of uh, of thieves made off with 600 bitcoin mining servers that's about two million dollars worth of hardware but uh enough computing power to maybe find lots and lots of bitcoin and uh, i don't know how much you know about mining bitcoin but it takes a lot of power so the the cops in iceland are watching the power grid for spikes in in power usage to try and find the people who stole all this hardware at this point, I think it might be safer to just go back to stuffing money into your mattress. Maybe. <laughs> I wanted to give a quick uh, shout out to Kevin Smith and wish him well. I'm not sure if you know or other people listening know, but he had a massive heart attack on Monday of this week. And uh, by all accounts, seems to be recovering quite well. He's been of course, tweeting about it and did a live uh, Facebook thing the other day and mark bernardin tweeted today that the, he's going to be back doing fat man on batman at the scum and villainy cafe in los angeles next tuesday march 6th so it's really nice to hear and i uh, hope he's doing well yeah we wish him well so this is our take home top three last episode i gave you a top three to come up with for us and i asked you to tell us about your top three most influential science fiction shows and the idea was not to give us what you considered to be the best science fiction shows but the three that were most influential for you sure so this was kind of a fun uh, fun assignment first of all i have to say uh the one that i ruled out pretty quickly 
was the original Star Trek, uh, which might sound like blasphemy, but hear me out. Just as they say fish don't see water, Star Trek was just such a given that I, I think I can't even count that one. Um, I think the original Star Trek is where all movie and TV sci-fi really came from in the forms that we know it now. And I didn't really get into it until a lot later in my life, so I'm I'm ruling out the original Star Trek. So, haters can hate, but <laughs> that's what I gotta do. Um, for me, my first of my top three influential sci-fi shows is Doctor Who. Nice. So, this is really gonna date me, but uh, when I was watching Doctor Who when I was a kid... There was no Netflix, there was no internet, there wasn't even cable TV. And Doctor Who aired in like six to nine part series um, that if I was lucky, I would get to see once a week. And when you're like an eight, ten year old kid, the commitment to say, I'm going to catch this show that's only on once a week um, for eight weeks in a row, it really introduced me the concept of like, you got to work for really finding and acquiring a good show so there was that element but it also um i love doctor who because it was so thinky and so different and it introduced me to, to the idea that it wasn't special effects or explosions that made sci-fi cool it was the ideas oh yeah in those early episodes if you were not there for the story you were not going to be wowed no the costumes and and sets were often kind of laughable but uh the other really cool thing about Doctor Who in those days is it was my first series. I, you know, I saw some some Tom Baker episodes here and there, but then I met a friend who had a whole bunch of Doctor Who novels. Did you ever read any of the novels? Yeah, I did. So that was kind of my first experience of like sort of a multimedia like of fandom of like, oh, here's all this other stuff about a series and that kind of really got me hooked and and then i was like okay i gotta make it i gotta see that one episode a week that i can uh so doctor who was just a really cool introduction to like how deep uh and into a show you could get and the other thing i found at the time about doctor who was in a time before all of the other genre fandom existed mm -hmm. it was when you met people a short form that would tell you something about the person. If you found somebody else who watched Doctor Who, you, you pretty much knew that you had something in common and a basis yeah. to, uh, to, For sure. to to get to know that person. Yeah. Go on. You got a number two? My number two is Star Trek The Next Generation. See, I, I wondered if this was going to be in there over Star Trek regardless of the uh, of the disregarding the original Star Trek because my yeah. recollection growing up between the two of us was that I was always an original Star Trek guy and you were the next generation guy and I remember having those debates. Yeah. So I know you said you disregarded it simply because it was a given, but I would have thought this would have jumped ahead of it anyways. It yeah, I definitely prefer it. Um but it for me when I think about influential, it was influential in two ways. One, um I I just I love the show, I still do. But it kind of got me nerding out on collecting uh a series. <laughs> this is also going to date me in a in a horrible way. 
but I remember taping them off TV and uh, having a nicely organized collection of VHS tapes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, but your your thing was collecting and having them. I actually remember when we went away together to university, how excited I was that your collection was coming with you so I could finally catch up on the entire <laughs> the entire run of Next Generation. Well, and that hits on the second element of what I loved about Next Generation is because through those uh university years, it became such a social thing that we almost we almost weekly had like viewing parties for Star Trek the Next Generation and when building up to the season or series finale uh and we literally were at a viewing party with like probably 30 or 40 people and uh that was that social element of uh tng was just awesome okay so that leads me into my number one um personal favorite and uh most influential sci-fi show is the reboot of battlestar galactica Mm. so i had two two reasons that i really really loved this um one was just the um the pilot episode is still one of my favorite pieces of tv or movies that i can just go back to and watch over and over again the idea of the whole world being destroyed and just the the fight for survival um they just did that so so well i thought i loved the 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 president was like, you know, a school teacher because she was 76th in succession or something like that. But how many other people had died? And there's just so many things in that intro that uh, worked so well. And the other thing that I love about BSG is that it proved that a reboot can really, really work. Yeah, and the whole series was just a fantastic science fiction drama that just happened to be. Uh, I mean, it's intricately and intimately tied to the Battlestar Galactica universe, but it is a working and functional science fiction drama that happens to be a Battlestar Galactica show. Yeah, yeah. I Like, it, it incorporates so much of that original cheesy 1970s show, and yet totally does different things with it. And as you said, the, like, just the, the drama and the character and the actors... You know, it, it got thinking about this has made me want to go back and, and rewatch the whole thing. I mean, the whole Baltar, uh, Cylon, all that, that kind of, is it a dream? Is he hallucinating? What's going on? There was some great ambiguity and some great gritty realism mixed in together. They're, they just did so much good stuff in that show. Yep, and they did a lot to sort of surprise you and keep you guessing through the whole thing. For sure. So yeah, so that was... Uh, the three shows that I think probably had the most impact on me. All great shows. I think that I would have had to go with either uh, the original Battlestar Galactica or Logan's Run as one of my picks. Interesting. Uh, Just because they would have come out shortly after Star Wars in a time Mm -hmm. where I was desperate to see anything that looked like Star Wars on television. Sure. And those sort of kept the fires burning until uh, we started to get more right my other near miss was uh red dwarf Mm. (laughs) just because you know for a comedy they actually had so much smart smart writing and we talked last week a little bit about how about your love for time loop stories and there are some some time loop episodes of red dwarf that are just like the smartest funniest thing ever done 
Am am I wrong in that in the end you find out that the whole entire thing is one gigantic time loop? Uh, you know, I they they kept going a couple seasons longer than I've actually seen it, so that's entirely possible. I haven't seen the most recent season or two. Yeah. <laughs> that was another show that you'd have to have some dedication to find on because that was back as well in the time period where you, you had to catch it on at the time it was on. Yeah, I never, certainly never saw it when it was originally on. It was much, much later when it was, we had access to like, uh, you know, DVDs and online episodes and that kind of thing before I really got into it. Great. So I think I need to give you some homework for next week. You do. So my friend, I want you to switch gears and think about video games. So I want you to think about, you know, sometimes you have a game that you just veg out on and you play way too much. Yeah. Um, your assignment is to think about three games that you have played way too much, but don't regret it at all. <laughs> so a game that ate a significant portion of my life that I don't miss. Yeah. Not like, you know, I've been playing this and I'm going to throw it down in disgust and, oh, how did I waste all that time? But you look back and say, wow, I, I spent a lot of time on that, but, but it was fun. All right. I can do that. Cool. Well, I think that is about all we have time for this week. I think that's lots of time. All right. Catch us every week at totallysortof.com, in the Podbean app, or now available on iTunes and soon on the Google Play Store. Hopefully soon on the Google Store if they ever approve us. If you liked what we had to say, if you hated it, disagreed with it, uh, or want to share your opinion, just comment on our page or tweet us at totally sort of you can also find the totally sort of instagram account where we'll post some pictures and things that we've talked about you can check out our show notes for links to all the stuff we've been talking about uh, we want to say thanks to k bana black for our intro song which is punk and used with kind permission from him until next time i'm darren hogan and i'm chris mckinnis and you have been listening to the Totally Sort of Podcast. Talk to you later, buddy. You bet, pal.